Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. morning again. It is hour two of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is the Faith Radio Network. If you're just joining us, what do we do here? What are we talking about? Well, we are seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day. We uh, encourage one another in the things of the faith. I ask every day, where in the word are you today? Um, encourage you to be in the word of God and allow the word of God to get into you before you Get out there into the world that God so loves. We are seeking to represent Christ in ways that Jesus would recognize. Right? So we want to be uh, people who walk into the conversations of the day, whatever those may be, and represent the mind of Christ and the spirit of Christ. And so we want to be filled with grace and truth as we cultivate the culture um, toward a harvest of righteousness. That's, uh, that's the goal. That's what's going on here. So we talked a lot in the last hour about things going on around the world. So let me bring a little bit of attention to things going on here at home. Um, And uh, yes, uh, yes, uh, like everyone, I'm aware of the screaming, screeching, blaring headline uh, of the day related to the ongoing questions of um, what things the former president of the United States may have inappropriately taken with him. Uh, to his private residence at Mar-a-Lago. There's also a whole lot we don't know. And so uh, I'm not going to speculate. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be the person who waits for uh, better understanding and more information before uh, I seek to comment much further. Um, Do I find it disturbing? Yes. Do I think it's a critical cultural moment? Yes. Um, But I'm going to reserve judgment um, until more is known. This we do know. Uh, President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed a $280 billion bipartisan bill to boost domestic high-tech manufacturing, part of um, the administration's push to boost U.S. um, competitiveness with China. This is about the CHIPS Act. This is um, bringing the development and production of chips, those things, you know, computer chips, um, back to the United States of America. And so um, that is related to the conversation that we had in the first hour with Jeff Bilbro about where do the supplies for those things come? You got to dig them up somewhere. And so I'm always mindful when we talk about um, we're going to shift in in one uh, production sector or an energy sector, we're going to shift from one kind of technology to another. I'm it's always I'm always mindful that um it's we are not creators from nothing. We don't have the ability that God has to create out of nothing, which means we're going to have to go and get resources somewhere um, to make the things that we use today. And so if you're not going to dig up fossil fuels and burn them, which I, I understand, then you're going to have to harness the energy of the sun, harness the energy of the wind, 
harness the energy of water moving downhill. Um, or uh, in these cases, you're going to have to go find those rare earth minerals that uh, are that need to go into these chips and batteries and various other things that are going to, uh, you know, enable us to con- continue to use the kinds of technologies that we seem to increasingly enjoy. So um, I think it's a robust conversation for Christians to engage in um, because it gets us uh, it gets us back to the creator. It gives us the opportunity to talk about um, what we have and where it comes from and who's behind it uh, and how he intends that we should um, steward the things that we have. So it has been a year, almost a year. In fact, on Monday, it will be a year um, that the United States military, along with virtually every U.S. and Western NGO, withdrew from Afghanistan. We abandoned the nation to the rule of the Taliban. We're going to talk on Monday with retired U.S. Lieutenant General John Bradley, who served as commander of the U.S. Air Force Reserve. He heads the Lamia Foundation, which continues to serve the people of Afghanistan today. We're going to get an update from him on Monday. But today, we're going to talk with Matthew Sorens from World Relief about the introduction of the Afghan Adjustment Act in Congress. Um, I want you to imagine that you left everything behind. Everything. Everything. You're fleeing the known horror of what is there, but you are going into an unknown future. And then... Um, not unlike the Hebrew people who wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness before finally entering the promised land, you're made to wait. How long, O oh Lord? How long? And what happens to people who get separated along the way? Some of those stories next. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. Matthew Sorens is back. We love to talk with uh, Matthew about things going on in the world. He uh, serves an organization called World Relief. You can um, you can find him and what we're talking about today at worldrelief.org. Hey, Matt. Hey, it's good to be back with you. So it's great to be with you. So um, last night I um, was at an event and I saw this guy's name tag and I thought, I know that name, Eric Costanzo. I know that name. Where do I know that name from? And so we got talking and he's like, yeah, I think, you know, my friend Matthew Sorens. In fact, I think he was on recently to talk about the book that we wrote together. And I was like, oh, I should have recognized your name from an inalienable how marginalized kingdom voices can help save the American church. So there you go. Your friend from Tulsa and I were in the same room last night. Oh, good. I'm glad you got to meet Eric. He's a great guy. I, he's a great guy. And he asked me if you and I were talking today about the Afghan Adjustment Act. And of course, I had been busy and not read in on that yesterday. So can you briefly fill us in on that before we talk about the secret history of U.S. families separation policy? Yeah. Um, So the Afghan Adjustment Act is a new bill introduced just yesterday and really importantly, bipartisanly. It's uh, led by Senator Klobuchar on the Democratic side of Minnesota and Senator Graham and Senator Blunt, who are both Republicans, um, and then also in the House of Representatives, bipartisan co-sponsors. So what that's really hopeful for me is it could actually pass into law, which is really important because what this bill does is addresses a, a real challenge with the way that Afghans were brought to the United States beginning just about a year ago this month, 
Um, you had more than 70,000 Afghans brought here, most of whom, almost all of whom, by definition, are refugees. They fled a credible fear of Taliban persecution. But because of a lot of complicated reasons in how bureaucratic our refugee processing system is, there wasn't time to bring them through that formal process. So they were brought here under a different legal designation, which was good to get them out safely, get them to the United States and allow them to start rebuilding their lives. But they all have these documents that say they're authorized to be here and to work that expire in two years. And we're now mm. a year into their time here. And it's possible that the federal government could renew those documents, but they're, you know, it's just a ton of stress on these tens of thousands of, of new neighbors here in the United States. Um, when we tell them, well, well, we think that they're going to let you stay here permanently. We think that they would probably not send you back to Afghanistan. But the way that you tell someone that in a legally binding way is to allow them to apply for permanent resident status, which is what every refugee who comes through the refugee program automatically is allowed to apply for one year after arrival. And then four years after that, if they meet all the requirements, they can pursue citizenship. What we've said with the Afghan Adjustment Act is there's no reason to treat Afghans differently than other refugees. And in fact, if anything, given that many of them became refugees because of their service to the United States military or other parts of the U.S. operations in, in Afghanistan, uh, we should particularly have uh, an obligation to these people to make able to integrate into our society and um, not live being sent back to a country that unfortunately is still a very dangerous place for them. So we're hopeful that uh, leaders on both sides in Congress will not just introduce this bill, the Afghan Adjustment Act, but actually uh, make sure that it passes. So let's pivot to a conversation about um, something that apparently has been happening um, as a part of U.S. policy. Um, and that is the secret history of the U.S. government's family separation policy. Um, it's an extensive um, expose, investigative piece posted at theatlantic.com. Um, and let me just ask this question, and then Matthew and I are going to come back in just a moment. Um, but, like, how desperate would you have to be to flee your home um, with your child, with the hope of a better life in America. And then what if that child was taken away from you at the border? I want you just to feel that for a moment. You're listening to, Mo to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We've got an extraordinary number of people arriving um, at the U.S. border. When they arrive with uh, small children, they are often separated. Um, that story, and let me just tell you, it is heartbreaking, um, is chronicled in a piece, an extensive piece at theatlantic.com by an investigative journalist named Caitlin Dickerson. Um, Matthew Sorens, why don't you just um, give us a sense of 
of what is contained in this secret history of the U.S., the U.S.'s family separation policy. Yeah, um, as you said, it is a really sobering article, and even to call it an article, it's it's about 30,000 words, so it's almost a small book, um, and it merits even more attention, I think. But basically, the, this journalist, uh, Caitlin Dickerson, is done a really remarkable job of documenting what went on in the policy that kind of became known as family separation. Um, those who would probably defend the policy would call it the zero tolerance policy, um, where basically rather complicated to explain. And that's why she takes 30,000 words to do so. But you had uh, an, what for at least some people within the U.S. government beginning in around 2017 was an effort to deter people coming to the U.S. border, uh, many of whom are coming to seek asylum, which is something offered under U.S. law. And the idea was if we take people's children away from them, that will deter them from coming. Other people within the same administration said that was never our intention. Uh, we, you know, it wasn't meant to be a deterrence policy, but some people were on record in acknowledging that was indeed the, the origins of the idea. And to do so, they used the reality that under our laws, it's both legal to seek asylum. It's also uh, illegal to cross the border without a visa. It's a, it can be a misdemeanor offense on the first offense. Historically, so going back to the, you know, the, the Obama administration, the, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration for years, these, these laws have not changed. It's not a matter of a changing of law by Congress. But historically, at the border, our federal government has used some discretion. That is to say, there are things that may technically be um, prosecutable, but they don't prosecute in every case. The same way that it's, you know, it's technically against the law for me to exceed the speed limit by one mile an hour, but a police officer is not obligated to give me a ticket every time they observe me doing so. And that may be a, a lesser offense, but the principle is still there that there are times when it makes sense for the federal prosecutor case. There's other times when it makes sense for them to, um, to detain someone and send them back to their country of origin, but not actually file, um, criminal charges of a misdemeanor offense against them. Basically, this uh, family separation policy made uh, use of the fact that when you separate, when you charge someone criminally, which started happening in basically all cases, even when people showed up with small children, even when they were looking for the U.S. government to say, I'd like to seek asylum, uh, when you charge an adult, the child is taken away. And those children, and this happened ultimately in more than 5,000 instances, 5,000 kids separated from parents um, in over a number of years. What happens is they're treated under the law as though they had shown up without a parent. And we have a system under our laws in the United States for unaccompanied children. They're basically put in the custody of the Department of Health and Human Services, which works with nonprofits, many of which are actually Christian ministries that run small group homes, uh, work to find foster families for these kids until they can be reunited with their families. But that system wasn't set up to reunite kids who had actually been intentionally taken away from their parents. It was set up for people who showed up without a parent, who were usually 17 or 16 or 15 years old, not, as happened in this case, often very small children, two and three and four-year-olds. Um, and the real horror of the story that, that Caitlin Dickerson uh, documents really carefully is the system was put into place without much of a plan so there was no tracking of this child that was taken from a parent, who that child's parent was. The child is in the custody of the federal government. The parent, in many cases, was deported back to Central America. And there was no plan to track them. There was no phone numbers written down. There was not even, a, you know, someone in the article, a government 
official says there wasn't something as simple as an Excel sheet to track which child went with which parent. I mean, I, I just think of like, I can't drop my kid off for you know Sunday school without a system to make sure that they know how to find me if something goes wrong in that 90 minutes that I'm in the worship service. And there wasn't that system in place. And mm-hmm. more than anything, I think this article to me speaks of the reality of sometimes sin works its way into systems where it's not any one individual who made an evil decision. Sometimes there is some evil decisions by individuals, but also it's systematized. So it's a lot of people who are just doing their job, just following orders. And uh, those who maybe push back and say, this is, I'm not sure this is how this should work. We need to think through this more, get kind of pushed aside or ignored. Um, It's a very thorough documentation of how different departments of the federal government didn't communicate with one another and no one wanted to take responsibility for what was happening. Um, And, I think really important, it is frankly a very troubling article to read, but this is our recent history. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it is sometimes true that those who aren't willing to face what has happened in history are doomed to repeat it. It's really important, I think, uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus to do what we can do in our representative system of government to insist that our country never do this again. Of course, we need secure borders. Of course, we need to enforce laws. But we need to enforce laws in humane and rational ways, and we should never be punishing small children um, for what is, in our laws, actually a fairly minor offense, uh, a misdemeanor offense. Uh, of cross- That doesn't mean let everybody in. Of course, we need fair systems to enforce the law. But using, bring, frankly, punishing children in a way that could have lifelong effects on them, I mean, in terms of the trauma that these kids have experienced. And which is described in this article in rather excruciating detail. I mean, children literally being told, we're going to take you for a bath, and they come back and their parents have been deported. And they never, and they, in some cases, our government still doesn't know where hundreds of these children are or where hundreds of their parents are, but there's families that are still not reunited. And it's, it's possible they've been reunited in Guatemala or in Honduras and frankly don't want to take calls from the U.S. government because they've had some bad experiences there. Um, but it's very likely there are other kids who were separated back in 2018 or 2017 who remain separated today. And it's just a horrifying uh, reality to, to face. It's so challenging. Um, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't get my mind around it from the perspective of a mother or father, but I suppose I could get my mind around it from the perspective of a grandmother you know, I have grandkids these ages and, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, some of them with some special needs. And so I think about, you know, I think about children who are already um, challenged in many ways. And language is a barrier in these cases that mm-hmm. we're talking about and culture. And they've been through the trauma of, you know, of a very lo- long, arduous trip. And the only person they know in the world that 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 loves them. Um, enough to risk life to get them to a better place um, they've now been um, separated from. And it, um, we, we must do better than this. I, I think that I will say that. We must do better than this. Um, and so thank you so much for reading this piece. Um, and if you're listening right now, it's called The Secret History of the U.S. Government's Family Separation Policy. You can find it at The Atlantic. It's going to be in the show notes today. Um, it is long. I mean, as Matthew has said, it's basically a book, um, but it's worth reading um, and it's worth considering. And we are we the people and this is our government and we have done this. 
and we must do better. So, Matthew Sorens, as always, thank you for the work you do every day at World Relief and at the Evangelical Immigration Table. Um, and thank you for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, I always appreciate the opportunity to be here, Carmen. Thanks so much. Um, also, check out Matt's new book, um, Unalienable, How Marginalized Kingdom Voices um, Can Really Move Us Forward in the Conversations That We're Having Here and, and How They Can Actually Help Save the American Church. We'll be right back. Now I'm alive and born again, rescued from the grip of sin. God, there is not one segment of the U.S. population that's not currently suffering in terms of overall mental health. Children, youth, young adults, parents, seniors. On Monday, the Annie E. Casey Foundation released its Kids Count data book. It outlines and ranks children's wellness across 16 factors by state here in the United States. Um, the report uses data from the National Survey of Children's Health, which is conducted by the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, and, a, and so according to the Kids Count data book released on Monday, the number of children reported to have anxiety and depression increased between 2016 and 2020 by 26% across the country. That's 1.5 million more children with anxiety and depression in 2020 than in 2016. The numbers for youth, parents, teachers, pastors, senior adults show similar trends. We are in a mental health crisis in America. Anxiety, depression, suicide ideation, self-harm. And so let me ask you this morning. Are you anxious? Is the darkness pressing in? You have a hard time sleeping? Are you having thoughts that would frighten your family if they knew what you were thinking? There is hope. And though it may feel like hope is a million miles away, in reality, you are right on the edge of it. On the edge of hope is Dr. Mark Sharona's new book, and he joins us next. Dr. Mark Sharona joins us now. He has been an influential leader with a global reach. Um, he is... Uh, he has a voice that calls out in um, in the wilderness for lots of folks. He's the senior pastor of Church on the Living Edge in Orlando, Florida. He is the presiding bishop of Legacy Edge Alliance, which is a worldwide fellowship of um, senior apostolic leaders and churches around the world. He's got advanced degrees in theology and psychology, um, and he's here to talk with us today about Walking Across the thresh, the Threshold of Hope. The book is On the Edge of Hope. Um, no matter how dark the night, the redeemed soul still sings. Dr. Sharona, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's great to be with you. Um, so let me just start with this. Is it okay to have Jesus and a therapist too? Oh, absolutely. Actually, Jesus is the quintessential therapist, but sometimes we need flesh and blood ones too 
help us flesh out what's going on. And that doesn't mean that you um that you deny the the spiritual reality of um of seasons of darkness. Um and so I mean, there are so many directions that we can go in this conversation talking about this book, and I want you to describe the threshold, like, right, that we're literally on the edge of hope. But I also, um, I want I want to engage everybody who's listening right now, and so I want to engage the person who has been told in the past um, that the what they're struggling with is spiritual, um, because you don't deny that. You you acknowledge that in the book, but you also acknowledge the value of um, talking through it with someone. the uh, The importance of wise counsel, what I would call therapy. So, can you weave uh, some of that together for us? Sure. So, to begin with, one of the great challenges I think we face, particularly in the American church, and I'll go a little bit further and say. The American popular evangelical church is that, as J.I. Packer said years ago, the, the 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 depth of thinking theologically in the American church is an inch deep and a mile wide. We are shallow. Mm. We proof text, we cherry pick Bible verses and claim we're spiritual. To be spiritual is to be human. The more human you become, the more spiritual you are. Jesus died to make us human. He didn't die to make us angelic. And all the, I've heard it over the years, psychobabble, all the anti-psychology drivel and diatribe that has demonized anything tied to psychology is really born out of ignorance and arrogance and has very little to do with the cure of the human soul. From the earliest days of the inception of the church, the the speaking amongst the doctors of the church of the cure of the soul has been the primary call of every spiritual leader in the kingdom. We've lost that in the current culture. We Postmodernism has eroded away at all of that. But right now we are in a mental health crisis and um, it's going to get worse. And the church that chooses to stay in the place of ignorance and arrogance is going to be ill-equipped to bring the kind of hope necessary to people that need both to understand how their heart and their mind can be made whole. Talk with us a little bit. No, it does. Absolutely. It's incredibly helpful. I'd love for you to talk with us a little bit about your own journey, because you're not talking about something that you have observed or just talked with in terms of what other people have walked through, um, you share really intimately and deeply in this book, On the Edge of Hope, about your own experience. So can you can you share a little bit um, about that sure. so folks will recognize that this comes from a real place? Sure. Now, mind you, all of us battle at some point in time in life with various forms of anxiety and even depression. Everyone guaranteed if they live a life uh, on this planet at some point is going to battle depression for a season. Everyone. That's reality. Um, Not everyone will go for help, but everyone will. Uh, So over the course of my journey, I would have little hiccups of things like everybody else and manage to work my way through them and understand what was temptation, what was my own unfinished business, et cetera, et cetera. But in 2007, 
a whole series of events uh, converged in a perfect storm, and it was utterly overwhelming. Uh, it began with um, a panic attack, and I was uh, in the air headed to the Bahamas to be with my dear friend Miles Monroe and um, to speak for his annual um, international leaders conference. And um, I didn't quite, I had never had a panic attack before. So that was a new experience, uh, not fun. Um, and I had to speak. Um, and it was the first time in my life I really had uh, a bout within the kind of insomnia where you cannot go to sleep. Um, but there were a whole series of events, both personal and in terms of the church that were pressing. And I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't manage them as well as I thought I could. And um, the anxiety got so intense that within six months, I was pacing the floors for two weeks, 24 hours a day because I could not sleep. And um, that ended up, the anxiety was so severe that uh, I ended up with depression as well because they do travel together. Mm -hmm. Most times, if you have anxiety for any length of time, depression will set in. Or if you have depression, anxiety will set in. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean to be the case, but in many cases, they both travel together. And mm -hmm. I was, I, I say in the book, if I had seen the bus coming, I'd have gotten out of the way, but I didn't see the bus coming. It was very painful, and it lasted three and a half years. We're talking with Dr. Mark Sharona about his own experience, which he chronicles in the book On the Edge of Hope. Um, there, is, there are resources here for you if you are experiencing anxiety, if you are in a season of pain and suffering, if you, um, you want to be delivered from your pain and want to know how, if you're in a dark season, um, this is the book that is for you. And so if you're interested in entering the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, talk with us, Mark, about uh, being on the edge of hope and the concept of the threshold. Yeah, the, the reality is, is that the triune God never leaves us, never forsakes us. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll, we will not experience both internal negative afflictive thoughts or tormenting thoughts from the powers of darkness or both. And I had been familiar with both for a long time, but the level of severity that, that took place because of the stressors I was encountering was, was of a level that I had to find once again that the triune God, who is perfect love, um, could drive out all that was troubling my deeply afflicted soul. And he's always there. He's, he is constantly caring for us. But there are things that in love he doesn't allow us to avoid because he wants to teach us how to face certain things so that they can't hurt us anymore. And so the edge of hope is ever-present. 
But it's also that edge where I have to learn how to accept that negative emotions, negative feelings um, are afflictive emotions and afflictive feelings are part of the human condition. And I have to learn how to deal with them and be with them without them defining me. And that's where the edge of hope comes in. We're going to talk about the word acceptance, which Mark just used. We're going to um, talk a little bit more about that. I'm also going to in, invite um, Mark to uh, to talk with us about what it means to slow down to the speed of life and slow down to the speed of revelation. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Mark Sharona in just a moment. The book is On the Edge of Hope. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Mark Sharona, we're talking with Mark about his own life experience and journey. Um, We're also talking about his book, On the Edge of Hope. No matter how dark the night, the redeemed soul still sings. And yes, we've got copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Mark, you used a word, um, uh, and it's it's bigger than a word. It's this concept of acceptance. Talk with us about acceptance um and and what it means sure well one of the one of the great challenges we face uh in terms of negative emotions is wanting to get rid of them as i don't know if you remember carmen as a kid if you've ever went to an amusement park and you got the chinese finger traps where those bamboo webbed uh tubes the cylinders you put both four fingers in and it wraps itself around both fingers and then the harder you try to pull to get out uh the more difficult it becomes because those weavings tighten up the key with the chinese finger trap uh toy is you've got to push your fingers together and relax and that will loosen the grip of the Chinese finger trap, and then you just simply slip your hands, fingers out. Acceptance is much like that. I, We tend to equate acceptance of negative or afflictive thoughts and emotions as resignation to them. 
And that couldn't be further from the truth. I fought the anxiety tooth and nail for months and months and months. And it wasn't until I sat with um, a professional and realized I had to be with the anxiety without letting it define me so that I could still live from the core of what mattered most to me. And that took a while because I'm an Italian from New York and we fight. <laughs> you know, we Italians wrote the book on dysfunction, by the way. So that's the second book that's coming out on, <laughs> on Italian dysfunction. But um, the, the reality is, is that we want to fight our way. I want to rebuke this. And I'm not saying there isn't a place when it's not all demonic. I mean, our human experience is such that... Um, we face negative, afflictive thoughts. And the longer I fought it, the more intense the pain became. And I had to learn how to be with it without it defining the totality of who I was. Because in that season, I lost perspective of who I was because the pain was so intense. And acceptance became the foundational key. And then I had to move through a number of things. But it was that acceptance piece that I had to discover in terms of acceptance doesn't mean I'm resigning myself to this and I'm going to lay down and die. Um, it means yeah, I'm and going I, to embrace this. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go no. Ahead. I, what came to mind as you were discussing the difference between acceptance and resignation um, is the way Jesus approaches the cross. Um he he accepts that in order for the glory on the other side of the cross, in order for our salvation, in order for human beings to be reconciled to God, like enduring the cross is, I mean, he accepts that. Um, and yeah. he accepts it, accepts it before he even, you know, takes on flesh to dwell among us. But um, but he accepts it at other points as well. I mean, I think on the mountain of transfiguration, he accepts it. I think he accepts it in the garden of Gethsemane. I think, you know, in the book of Hebrews for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross. I mean, he could see around it to the other side. And I think that part of acceptance is, um, again, getting back to this threshold um, image that it, hope is right there. I am I am literally right on the edge of hope, even though it feels like it's a million miles away. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, I talk about both Jesus and Paul and the Garden of Gethsemane and Paul's season of anxiety and despair in the book. Um, both of those were bedrock passages that helped me cope. These are the two voices that tell us, be anxious for nothing. Mm -hmm. And yet both of them went through seasons of extreme anxiety and despair. Mm -hmm. uh, for Jesus, as the God-man, he was able to postpone it until Gethsemane, when he then he allowed the full force of it to so touch his psyche that he sweat, as it were, drops of blood from the extremities of blood pressure. So he begins to redeem us. He collapses to the ground and begins to sweat drops of blood from the angst and the despair he's feeling. But he's literally wrestling his way through our sufferings and that's where he first in the scripture cries, Abba. Now, he probably said it privately to the father many times, but that term of endearment is coming from his lips while he's groaning in such deep groans and loud cryings and tears uh, in order to deliver us. 
And then Paul says, both in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, that he's excessively burdened to despairing of life, um, has the sentence of death past 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians, and I never saw this before until I slowed down to the speed of life and revelation, and the anxiety taught me that. Paul said, when I was with you, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. And when I went and did the real Greek studies on that stuff and looked at the context of what Paul was saying and what he was going through, I said, oh, my, he was battling mm-hmm. profound anxiety and unrest. He so was, good. And his, this so, is the guy that says, be anxious for nothing, but in yeah. all things with thanksgiving, with prayer and supplication. And we can quote those verses. But if you don't slow down to take a look at what, first of all, what kind of prayer and then wh- wh- how do we give thanks in the midst of that pain? And then what is supplication? Because now we're getting into the therapeutic arena because that reach down, reaches down into the depths of the unspoken pain that we have a hard time bringing to speech. It's so good. It's so because good, Mark. Hey, feelings yeah. don't think, they feel. And we often don't know what to do in the contemporary Western culture with our feelings. Therefore, we bury them. But what we bury alive stays alive. Mm. All right. I know you want more of that. I know you're listening right now and you're like, I just want more of that. I need more of that. Um, well, there's more of it in the book. The book is On the Edge of Hope. Uh, Dr. Mark Sharona is the author. We're giving away copies to get today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Connect directly with uh, Mark at his website, Mark Sharona, C-H-I-R-O-N-N-A, MarkSharona.com. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. What a blessing and a gift you are. Thank you, Carmen. It's been an honor to be with you. Likewise, likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. How good was that? I mean, we, we recognize that we're supposed to be anxious for nothing, right? And yet we wake up and we're a little bit anxious or we're a little bit anxious and we can't go to sleep. And then we're tired and anxious and then we're tired and anxious and cranky. And it feels like the darkness is pressing in. We don't really know what to do with it. And so we take it to the Lord and it doesn't always just instantly evaporate. Um, and so we have to accept some of those burdens, in uh, in each day, but we also recognize we're literally standing on the threshold of hope. You're standing on the threshold of hope. Um, the image of Jesus surveying the cross and considering it, but looking beyond it, Jesus's ability to look beyond the cross to the glory set before him, not just the glory of his return to um, to fellowship, perfect, complete fellowship with the Father and the Spirit in heaven, but looking beyond the cross for the glory set before him, which was our redemption. Um, he endured the cross. He accepted the cross. And so I think when when we hear Jesus say, pick up your cross daily and follow me, um, that cross for each of us may be different, but it's equally real. And so whatever cross it is that you're picking up today to shoulder, um, first of all, you don't shoulder it alone. You're yoked to him. You're possessed of the Holy Spirit of the living God, and you're a part of a body of believers. 
So if you need some help today, hope is right there. It's right in front of you. Reach out. Ask someone to help you shoulder the burden today if you need that. Know that I'm praying for you. I count on you to pray for me. And let's be seeking out people today who need some encouragement. And let's be like um, Barnabas and carry encouragement uh, into the world that God so loves. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.